Conversations with Bob and Sherry is where the extrovert artist meets the introvert engineer. It's where analysis intersects experience. Join us as we explore news and culture to better understand what's true and important. Hi, Sherry. Hey, Bob. How are you? Happy belated Father's Day. Thank you. Yeah, we're doing our Father's Day at our house today because we're at work schedule. So, Excellent. But, um, so we're going to talk about fathers today and Juneteenth and Taylor Swift. Very good. For our audience, I just want to let you guys know I did a lot of research on Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga. So I'm all ready to share all that information. <laughs> well, you were on a roll this weekend on social media, so... I just wonder where you're at with it all, if you're still feeling the same way you were earlier, you know, a few days ago. Well, I'm still really um, frustrated that the ticket price is so high. Here's what I found out, which I think is so unfair, is um, the ticket master decided they want to do legal scalping. I mean, that's, that's basically as, as much as I can describe it. None of the ticket that being selling on the secondary market is what the ticket price was originally meant to be. And you did some research too. The original ticket that Taylor Swift and the promoters set out is anywhere between 45 to what, around $450, right? Right. So if you type in Taylor Swift concert on Google, what it first came up is not Ticketmaster, is VivisC, is StubHub, is the secondary companies that basically is gouging people. Yep. for the popularity of the artist. The artists themselves are not getting that money. And no. my thing is like, you know, these are little girls that want to go to these concerts. And I think as an artist that they really truly love their fans. They really need to ask for this legal scalping to stop. Um, um, yesterday on the, on the 17th, I went on StubHub and Vivid Seeds to look at the ticket price. The cheapest ticket is $900 and the highest ticket is $35,000. So what that means is these corporations have the ability to go out, buy millions of tickets out, so the fans themselves cannot buy the tickets and they turn around and sell it for a high price. Well, you, so I went back onto the website because Pink, which is another very popular female artist, and she's coming to Pittsburgh in August, and she will have her concert at PNC Park in August. There's already no more tickets out there, the true tickets. It's all secondary market. Even on Ticketmaster, it says verified resale tickets. Now, my thing is, it takes one concert. If you take one concert and all the fans says, we are refused to buy these secondary tickets on the market. We refuse it. It takes one artist, one concert. If they come into an empty stadium and let the secondary ticket sell sellers be stuck with these tickets, it takes one time and this will stop because it is not fair to the fans. And it's not fair to the artists either. When I was in high school, concerts were the big thing to do. And a concert ticket was typically 10 or $12. And I was trying to recall, I, I believe in many cases, it didn't matter where you sat, the price was the same. Mm -hmm. 
And if it was more, it might have been $20. But at that time, the music industry made money from record albums, CD sales. So that, this was still the time of record albums and cassette tapes. That was how they made their money. Concerts were merely a promotion. So when a band or an artist created a new record album, they would then tour. The, the tours were always coinciding with the release of a new album, and that was to promote sales. So they, people go to the concert, they get excited about it, they create a lot of buzz, people buy records, that's how they make their money. Then, of course, digitizing messed that up, and Napster, if you remember the Napster music sharing situation, and the music industry fought hard against that, but what they eventually did was their business model has now changed to where they make their money on the concerts, not on the music. So the actual sales, sales of the music does not make very much money for the artist, but they make a lot of money touring. So ticket prices are much higher. Uh, they did discover that older generation I probably I believe started with they were willing to pay a lot more money to see their bands from their childhood so what you also see now that you never used to see are senior citizens touring you know you see these <laughs> rock stones, stars yeah. that never happened because mm -hmm. once they they were no longer a mainstream uh, selling records they just stopped touring right. well now yeah and that's also why you hear them Bands will do a farewell concert, and then a couple years later, they'll do another farewell concert. I the share. money is too good. Yeah. <laughs> but so the other thing that used to happen, if you went to a sporting event or a concert, there would be people who were selling tickets. They were called scalpers. Right. There's a, a movie, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. One of the ca characters is a scalper. And they would double, triple the cost of the ticket, but it was illegal. Right. So if you go to a concert or a sporting event, there would be undercover police arresting scalpers. <laughs> I, remember that. I remember that. And the idea was they were ripping off fans and they were ripping off the promoters and the artists because they didn't have a right to that extra money. That was the belief. Well, now that with things like online selling, eBay, it probably started with eBay, They've—I don't know if there was a law change, but they've essentially legalized scalping now because it's a big business. Because large company you, companies can invest in blocks of tickets and resell them. Well, so, uh, what so I don't know though is how many people are actually paying those prices relative to the fan. Now I know that they have bots buying up tickets and things like that, but I believe there's a limit. I know as an individual, there's a limit to how many tickets you can buy. Now, do they have backroom deals with companies allowing them to buy more? I don't know. But those companies could potentially have people that they pay to go online and buy tickets for them, that kind of thing. But you mentioned the $20,000. Those are always out there. I don't know that anyone ever pays that. You know, there's a misnomer where people say they're selling for $20,000 on StubHub. Well, someone has them advertised for that price. It, it, it's not selling until someone buys it. So it's really the purchaser that determines the price of a ticket, not the seller. So the seller can put whatever price they want, but it's only what people are willing to pay that they'll actually sell them for.
It will be so, interesting to find out, uh, you know, but I don't think a lot of people want to admit how much money they shout out for this ticket, right? Because if you look at all the people that merge on Taylor Swift ticket, and I see a lot of videos and pictures, uh, majority of the people I know are sitting in nosebleed seats um, mm -hmm. looking at the little dots. So, and as far as spending money to these events, I think I, me and my husband, you know, he's he's a merit. He's he's a uh, he's a he's a musician. He's a fan of musics, and we always had this discussion about spending money on concerts. I mean, I grew up in a culture. I guess I was just never fans of any particular musician. I listen to songs. I appreciate them. Um, I remember my friends would go to a concert in Hong Kong, would bring flowers and toys for the celebrity. And it's always sold out show. In Hong Kong, these pop icons, they would sell out. They would have 30 days of, you know, 20 days of music concerts in a particular stadium because Hong Kong has 6 million people. So they do have enough people to draw from from the market. And they will pay 300 Hong Kong dollars, and it's not expensive, but, you know, as a teenager, it, it's it's something you, you pay to go. And majority of my friends would spend thousands of dollars because besides buying tickets, they will get flowers and toys. And one of the traditions is you throw flowers and toys to the stage. And I always laugh at them. I said, that person doesn't know who the hell you are. What do you think they're doing with the flowers? Why waste your money? So... Now, I have this discussion with my husband. I remember the fir very first concert he took me to um, was Alice Cooper. Never been to a concert before. Have no idea who Alice Cooper is. I thought it's, he looks ridiculous. I'm standing in front of the speaker because he wants to be in the front. I couldn't hear for four days after that. And I'm like, I'm not going to another concert. Well, then, fast forward... We were uh, just got married and we had a lot of financial, you know, we were trying to save money and, you know, starting businesses. And it was, I was pretty financially stressed out on a day-to-day -day basis. And all of a sudden he come home, he says, well, we're going to the Van Halen concert. I'm like, I have no idea who they are. How much do we pay for these two tickets? And he told me he paid about $300 for two tickets. I flipped out. I was like, how are we wasting money? Where we go? So we go to the concert. There's nowhere to sit. You stand and you're watching four guys in jeans playing guitars and drums. I have absolutely no appreciation for it. So when we had this Taylor Swift discussion, I said, I don't understand. If you can watch this on television, get your music for free, why would people pay hundreds of dollars? And I know some of the people can't afford it to go. Well, shout out money, they could be paying for car payments and rent payments to go to this concert. Well, my husband's reply, as American to a Chinese immigrant, is that, you know, you're just not a true fan. You just don't get it. You know, <laughs> you just don't understand. People spend money because they want to have a good time. Okay, I'm dividing the money I spend in three hours a good time. How much does that cost me per hour? And what could I utilize that money better for? So um, I think that's the difference between an immigrant from China, right? And never grew up in that culture because we didn't grow up idolizing entertainers. You know, your, your parents always say, hey, you need to do 
work hard, be successful, and do this. Idolizing entertainer was never part of the our culture. But my husband grew up idolizing the Beatles, and he would spend money to go to see Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and that type of thing. Is is the culture he grew up in? So I think there's a big culture differences in, in my household, right? You know, when my son said started playing drums, he said, "Well, I need this set of drums." I said, "Well, okay, why?" He said, "Because Ringo Starr play on it." Well, how much is it? Two thousand dollars. I said, "Well." When you are worth $800 million and selling out concert halls and be one of the drummer of the world, go buy yourself a set of drums. As long as you live in my household, we're not buying no $2,000 drum sets. Well, the U.S. is definitely a culture of idol worship. Uh, and I think China might be changing, though. I read that the reason the NBA is so popular in China now is because of the Chinese player Lin. When when he became an NBA star, that's what made it very popular in China. That At least that's what I read. I don't know. There's only one article. Well, traditionally, Chinese men are very short, right? Mm -hmm. I remember when uh, the very first U.S. team came and visited China. It was televised uh, basketball competition. Well, there's no competition. I mean, all the American players, Afri the mostly African-American, they're twice as tall as the Chinese players. I mean, I mean, they tip their toe, they can throw the bas ball in the basket, where the Chinese players, I mean, they, they were short to begin with. I mean, average, back then, you know, when I was growing up, an average Chinese men it's 5'8", five, 5'10", five, and there's no, very seldom you see people taller than, you know, six foot. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think there's a high admiration for sure, right? You know, you want to be, you know, want to see people that are tall. And as a matter of fact, after World War II, Japan, the Japanese government specifically sent women to foreign land to be made with, Western men, just so they can have better, genetically, they can have a better genes because traditionally, Japanese men and Japanese women are all shorter. So there is definitely this height admiration for sure. Um, yes, I think the Chinese culture is changing. I mean, even when I went from China to Hong Kong, Hong Kong definitely have these idolized stars and celebrities and people will pay money to go see. I mean, you just don't see that when I was growing up in China because people are too busy surviving just day-to-day -day lives. So you don't have the luxury to idolizing anybody, you know? I mean, even here, people can spend thousands of dollars in Taylor Swift concert knowing that they still go home, they will still have food to eat. But imagine you grew up in a country like I did that you have no idea from day to day where your next meal is going to be. You don't even have a running toilet. Well, there's no time or effort or luxury time to admire any musicians. You're just trying to live. So I think there's a big culture difference mm -hmm. here. I think even if I come to a point that I become successful or able to afford things, I just can't frivolously spending, you know, to me, that's just frivolously spending. Um, do I go to concert being that married to American guy? Yeah, I mean, against my own will, I, you know, I can't fight two people. 
you know, but we do put a limit. There is a limit, and I don't. And I I realize when you go to something, you can buy directly from the box office is way cheaper because they do go by the ticket price. Well, when I was going to concerts in high school, it was all about the music and the band, and nobody went with their parents. There was no young person there with their parents. If there were, there were very few and far between. Even back then, it was there was a, an event kind of hype around the event. It was a party and... You know, but right. we we mostly when you were there, you were there for the music and to observe the show, and we talked about details and things after. But now I feel like a lot of people go to these events so they can post on social media, and and I, and I don't necessarily right. want to minimize right. that, but it, like a FOMO kind of thing, you know, the right. fear of missing out. Yes. So you, you know, at concerts, I saw a lot of high school age girls with their parents gone to the the show parents would never imagine now now allowing their daughter to go alone but that wouldn't have happened if when i was a kid if if a parent said i insist on going with you i would not have gone and, <laughs> and most of my friends would have been the same way nope not going forget yeah. it so so there's a you know i see this at hockey games and football games where the game is on and when i'm in my seat i rarely get up i i watch the entire game there are people that are constantly up down up down up down they're you know selfies and they're this and they're, yes you know the the concession lines at heinz field now Acrashore, are long throughout the game it used to be they were long before kickoff they were long during halftime but if you needed something in the middle of the game or wanted something you you could go to the concession stand go right up yep. get your beer your drink, whatever, and get right back to your seats. There was nobody waiting in line. Everybody was watching the game. Yeah. Now, the, the lines are never short. There's a crowd of people always at the concession stand while the games are going on. And, you know, so it's different. I think a lot it's of people, and, and I think it's affected season ticket sales too. In the Pittsburgh area, the Steelers had been sold out for decades through season tickets, and they reserved a small amount for people who weren't. Now there are a lot of games where they're just people. I think people will buy one or two games. They've done the experience. They're like, here I am. I went to a Steeler game, been there, done that. They don't go back. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know that people have as much appreciation for the music, the, the sport, and the things. I think there's a much higher weighting put to just being there because a lot of people are there. Absolutely. I mean, when I first came to Pittsburgh, I went to a hockey game, and actually, I had was had the fortune to sit in the same box with Mario Lemieux. I have no idea who he was at the time. So, I went to one hockey game and couple hockey game in the box, and then couple hockey games I was right up in front. So, I have no desire to go to any other game if I can't really be in those two positions. And then I went to Steeler games. I don't understand. I know you love to be at the game. I felt like the best seat is in the house. I mean, in my own house. I can get up to go to the bathroom. I don't have to wait. I can go get a beer. I don't have to pay, you know, $14. Um, and you see a little dot. And, and the actual game itself, when you add the stadium, it's not that exciting because it's always I like stop and go and stop. 
they I didn't realize at the game they stopped for commercial time. Oh yeah. And it's yep. like this is not what I thought it. So once I went to a couple games and you know, have to go through all that. I'm like, you know what? At my home, I can get up for a commercial. I don't have to watch this, you know, commercial thing. So I was not, I'm not a, I, I don't like to go to live games. Let's just put it that way. You know, it just, to me, is like I, my best season in the house. And so for the same reason, I don't go to concerts. You know, you can go on like Pink is coming to Pittsburgh, but she does have a, her concert special is on Prime, and I can sit and watch on Prime. I can see her face. I can, you know, she talk behind the scenes of the production values, and I mean for entertainment. So, um, so like, like I said, I have this discussion with my husband. He goes, "Well, you're not just you just don't understand what it's like to be a fan." I'm not a fan of any, probably nothing. I mean. Perfect example, I love Phil Wickman, which is a Christian music artist. He has a lot of top one hits in Christian music. So so the conversation with my husband said, well, you like Phil Wickman. Would you go to see one of his shows? I said, well, he's been to Pittsburgh. I looked at the ticket price. No, I can listen to her song on the radio. <laughs> Way better. The good thing about football, it's easy for someone who doesn't, know anything about football to watch it on TV. But the more you get into the game, there's a lot of depth and strategy and things that are going on that you don't have to know to enjoy it. But the more you watch, the more you get into it, the more you see. Part of the reason it's so good for beginners is, like you said, it's a start-stop. So they line up, they run a play, and then there's a break in the action. So on TV... They analyze the play. So they tell you everything that just happened. They give you different camera angles. They have a, an expert in football. They have a professional broadcaster. So to a casual viewer, you can follow along very easily. But I've been watching football so long, and I've been going to live games so long, it's frustrating sometimes for me to watch on TV because I, they don't show the whole field. They show you maybe the quarterback, and then he throws the ball, and then they zoom in on their wide receiver as he's catching the ball. You had no idea what play was run, how the play developed, if the guy got open. They'll they'll try to show you that after the play, but it's frustrating. So when I'm at the game, I can see everything that's happening. I don't need the announcers to tell me what's going on. And uh, so I it, it live football to me is so much better than TV. That's because you're a true football fan. And I have right. to tell you, when I came to America, I realized something about why American football is so popular compared to soccer. Because the rest of the world is all soccer. America unique is that they are the only one have American football. I mean, they're trying to develop football in other parts of the world, but it's still not... Uh, uh, the rest of the world calls soccer football, but here they call... Right. And here's my theory about American football. Because Americans are very impatient. They want to see short-term accomplishment. Is all these guys, is every 10 yard, oh, yeah, it's 10 yard. Every 10 yard. And when you score a goal, it's not one goal, it's seven points. No, six points. And then you get the additional point at the game. So if you watch soccer, it's 45-minute long. It takes 
forever to score a goal. And sometimes you get out of game in 90 minutes, there's no goal scored at all. So that's not the type of thing American would like to see, right? Because <laughs> it's like, I want the 10 yard, I want that accomplishment, I want a pat on the shoulder. I rushed 10 yards. And I'm like, well, that's perfect reflection of American culture. You you turn everything into a weakness of American culture. What about what if the football is just a better sport? And if you're growing up with American football, to then go watch something that's so slow and so low scoring, it's like it just doesn't measure up. Well, because your expectation scoring, is higher. It's hard work. It's hard work, right? And then you don't think football's hard work. Well, it's a lot of protection around all padded. You know, I'm like, when I first came to America, everybody watching football, I was like, wait a second. I can't see the player's face. They all padded. There's no entertainment value for me at all. Because when I watch soccer, I like to see the good looking soccer players. How much tackling is there in soccer? Blocking there's no and tackling. tackling. No, there's all by foot. There's a lot of skill set. There's not. Well, that's why you have all tackling. the padding. Are you telling me there's no skill in American football? No, I'm sure there's skill, but there's there's a lot of brawn, like this men rushing men thing going on. Right? There are, I mean, I I will put star athletes in the NFL up against any athletes Talker around players. the world. I mean, Rocky? these are like freaks, genetic freak. These guys are huge and fast and athletic. If you go back in time, yeah, you were either a big, strong guy or you were a small, athletic, fast guy. Right. In football, you get them both. I mean, it's it's. That's right. That's why the, the way America, what the what uh, people in England would say about Americans that don't like soccer, you don't understand the sport. And I'm just going to say the same thing right back to you. you don't understand. <laughs> See, well. Here's the thing. This is why in America, majority of the sports, basketball, track and field, American, you know, American football and are predominantly dominated by the African-American. Right. And it, with the exception of hockey, because they are genetically more superior physically and, you know, against, you know, all. I mean, this maybe this is why the Asian Chinese people are not into sports because we are genetically, physically not as superior. Well, I mean, you know, I, I'm just going to say it depends on what you consider superior, inferior, genetically. So, someone smaller is not necessarily inferior. You know, I mean, yeah, if you're playing basketball, yeah, you, yeah, you can't no. really compete in basketball no, you if you're compete. short. Trust me, you can't. But you know, if you look at fighter pilots and things like that. I mean, most of them are pretty small. So, you know, I, did, did, I mean, did you, it's ever different. Hear, I wouldn't call one inferior. Any Chinese men's sport anywhere except with the exception of diving, right? Was it Chinese men are great at diving on the diving board. <laughs> well, at least Other you're making that, fun of Chinese men now instead of the U S there was a huge <laughs> article at one point in China huge government article and say what happened to Chinese men's sports because the women was winning volleyball lacrosse internationally the women's soccer team was doing good in China the men were just like you know I I would argue on the battlefield the smaller you know the endurance smaller, yeah. quickness uh that's that's going to have an advantage so you right. know it, there's not a lot of 
hand-to-hand combat anymore where a larger person might have an advantage so with it's mostly based on the weapons and moving into position and things like that so smaller more agile higher endurance people definitely have an advantage on the battlefield well when i was talking to a friend of ours he was uh he did two tours in iraq and he did tell us if you'd be surprised even during training the thin, the little little guys are the one have the most endurance. They have to carry oh, like sure. three hundred pounds on their back and hiking like ten miles or twelve miles. And the big guys, they really don't make it. You know, the oh, little absolutely. ones are the ones that have more energy. So, unless um, they're in the NFL, then they're freaks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, really, you have you have three hundred pound guys that can. I mean. I'm not going to say they can outrun the smaller guys because they can't, yeah. but they're just, they're not slow. I mean, they're quick. They have a lot of endurance. So, Well, women's sport are going to change a lot now as more and more trans women go into the women's sport. So eventually you're going to see guys against trans women. That'd be interesting, right? I feel like that's, I don't know that that's going to last. I actually think that's the <laughs> You know, of all the culture war battles, I think that one's winnable. Okay. Well, I want to change the subject a little bit. So I, because this phenomenon of Taylor Swift and all this concert, I did, I did some digging on Taylor Swift and also looked up Lady Gaga because you got to wonder, how did these people become so successful? They just didn't come out of nowhere, right? So... And that's what I always interested in. What made them who they are? Why are they so popular? So, turn out Taylor Swift started playing piano at the age of three years old and started writing songs at 11. And one of the reasons she was writing so many songs is because she was, you know, she wrote a lot of her own experience from high school and, and um, you know, her little heart gets broken by boys. And also, I guess, because she was a little bit different, so she's not in all the girl groups. So she's often being rejected and being left alone. And she, um, so she just basically turned her alone time into something productive, which is songwriting. And turn out, her parents took her down to Nashville, and she went, so... Apparently, this now I understand why Nashville has live music in every bar starting at 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, turn out in Nashville, there's a music street. Every music company is in Nashville that's on this one street. And they say in Nashville, like if you go to L.A., you hand your record demo to someone, they may not listen to it. But in Nashville, they will give a listen and they will reject you. But they at least they will listen. So... Taylor Swift handed her demo in at 11 years old to record company. Her parents would take her down to Nashville. She would go door to door to door to door and drop out these, um, her demos. Tell everybody she's a songwriter at 11 years old, right? So then at the age of 13, she went back. She'd keep dropping out her demos. At age of 14, finally, Sony hired her as one of the songwriting teams. So she was co-writing with other songwriters and then but would not let her uh, would not record her, refused to let her record her music. So then she decides she's gonna leave Sony 
and went to another label company that allowed her to record her own music and and produce her first album. So there's a there's a role to success. And the reason why she was successful too is at the time, this is my listen to a music you know analysis, the 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 writers reporting. At the time, there's no teenage girls writing songs for teenagers. So with Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, they were they were young girls but singing things that's more adultish. Well, Taylor Swift was writing songs, country songs, no less, that reflects teenagers. She's not afraid to be her age. And the demographic for country music was always targeting 30, 40-year-old women, but nothing really brings teenager into the country music. And she was the first one. But she was bold enough to create her own path. And then Lady Gaga listened to this whole watching her documentary she's kind of the same way she decides she's going to be she dropped out of music school she went she wanted to be an acting actress but she went for acting school got rejected for 10 years and she decides that acting's not for me i'm going to focusing on songwriting she started uh, lady gaga started playing piano at a very young age as well and started writing songs on her own. At 19 years old, she said, I went to bar, to bar, to bar, to bar in New York City, just play to anybody. Now, with both ladies, I found there's a similarity. I'm not saying every successful artist is that way. The similarity is they have, they both have a very strong family support unit. They have a strong mother, they have a strong father, they support them to let them do what they wanted to do and which that brings out you know and a very important subject coming out father's day how important father is in the house right the 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 important roles of a father scrolling shorts this weekend i discovered a guy calling himself prison doctor the name's a little deceptive what he does he's sort of like a motivational speaker, drill sergeant-y kind of a guy. And he gives, he talks to younger people, former gang me gang members or former gang members. Mm -hmm. uh, he gives talks and he's trying to keep kids out of prison. So that's his mission. Okay. He doesn't have a lot of content yet, but I did find at least, I think I found two where he went into a home where the parents asked him to come in because they had a troubled son, a young son who's just out of hand, hitting kids, hitting the mom, disobedient. And neither in both cases, there wasn't a father in the house. Okay. In one case, I saw a man when he came into the door, but this guy stayed out of camera. You could actually see him kind of part of his body in a lot of the shots. It turns out the woman's divorce separated because she said when he's with his father, she said. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in both cases, you see these unruly kids with no father in the home. And in a matter of minutes, <laughs> this prison doctor comes in just with a manly presence, stern, and kids were crying immediately. Just mm -hmm. in tears. Um, so, and I've seen this with 
some of the talk shows, I know Mari Povich, some of these other shows where they talk about the out of control teens. And in most cases, I wouldn't say all, but in the vast majority of them, there's no father in the home. So there's a definite uh, benefit to having a strong father, like you say, a strong mother. And I was talking with my daughter about some things this weekend. One of the problems we have big time as a society, if I talk about fathers and why they're so important and why we should vet this, invariably someone's going to come along and say, well, what about single mothers and what about this? You know, it's almost like why can't we elevate a group of people without seeming to put down another group? I mean, that's, that's really the engine of our society. So we're going to elevate whether it's LGBTQ, black people, but there's always got to be other bad people that we then have to push down. And I think right. a big part of the problem we have with young boys today is because we were, as a society, focused so much on lifting up girls that boys in the school system and everything kind of got ignored and pushed down. Well, that may be actually shifting now because it seems like most of the uh, uh, most of the very young kids struggling with this gender identity ideology stuff is our girls. It's affecting them much more than it's affecting boys. Well, no one's putting single mothers down, but let's take a look at why there's so many single mothers, right? It's because our government is pushing single mothers single mother family and our culture is saying you don't need a man in your life oh yes you do need a father and you do need a man in your life i see a lot of single moms they do don't tell me they say well i don't need a man my kid doesn't need a father no one ever says that they're struggling why do they call it struggling single moms if single motherhood is so fantastic why do we say oh the mom they're struggling right and then, I mean, I have a friend, she's a single mom, and she often says to me, well, I don't have a man in my house to help me. In her case, it was her choice to have a baby without a man because she went out, she's a single female, and she went up and decided she's going to get a, spend a lot of money to get a donor sperm and to have a kid without thinking this child going to need a father figure at some point. So... That, I'm not saying everybody's like that. And you have, what happened with single moms, you have irresponsible guys or there's some moms to say, I can get more government benefit without a guy. I mean, the culture is not pushing for these nuclear family anymore. And the culture is not pushing for couples staying together. You know, if I don't like something, I'm going to walk away. I mean, you've been married for 30 some years now. Right? With four children. I've been married for 20-some years with one kid. And, I mean, we can all say to you, there's many chances you get mad at each other, you get fight, but you, you have to somehow come back and compromise and make the marriage work. And But the culture doesn't push that. The culture says, well, do what you want. If they're not, if you don't feel like it, go walk, walk away, regardless what the consequences is. You know? So... I mean, I see my son, It's my son's playing drums, loving Beatles, because his dad, my husband, loved the Beatles and playing 
like to play music. And it was, it's a pleasure for me to watch those two, you know, my husband teach my son how to play the, play the drums and being all in tune with the music. Now that I think my son going to be any type of star, but it just having that father and son connection, I think it's very important. And then I'm not saying just my son is important and the mother comes in and plays other roles. I mean, there's a balance in the household. You have three kids, now your grandfather, four. I mean, it is very important to have that, you know, strong family unit. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of factors, and this could go in a lot of different directions. But if I think of what's the number one main uh, underpinnings of all these problems, it's the idea that sex and sexual expression and sexual identity is the most important thing about a person in their life. As a society, we've done that. It's at some point back to Freud, but it's made out like that's it. That's the ultimate thing. You know, express your sex, be free, you know, experiment, do whatever you want. Don't don't get hung up into this oppressive marriage situation if you, if it's not working for you just go explore go do something else and that's the price that, that's causing a lot of the damage now i you know i mean i would i have nothing against single mothers i think we as a society should support and help single mothers one of the problems is when you give financial assistance to someone to say well if you're a woman and you have a child without a husband then we're going to give you money You've now financially incentivized men or, well, women to have more children without men. And you've given the wide door open for men to go make babies and just leave when they feel like it. It's a financial incentive to that sort of family it's, structure. Right. So it, it's not encouraging family structure. Like no. in Europe, they say, well, if you have a second, third child, they will give the father a year off to help the mother with the kids, right? Now, that money is giving into a family unit. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I definitely think we should have single, to help single mothers. And I think I personally help my friend, you know, take the, take the daughter and take her on camping trips and paying for it all. But at the same, at the end of the day, this kid would say, well, I remember clearly when we went to, um, when we had a play day, went to the museum together, when I said to my son, I said, okay, we're going to go home. Your father's waiting. And this little girl who's way more mature than my son, I mean, we were talking about they were two years old. She's like, she said, at two years old, she said, oh, so Brandon has a father too? Am I the only one? Then a friend of mine, her thing is like, yeah, when I decide to have this baby, I never thought about the father factor. I was like, oh, okay. So that's, I mean, this girl's growing beautifully and she's doing a great job with her but there's always that void in your life that you know mm -hmm. everybody else has and how to explain i mean there's a lot of explanation to do at the time i read a time magazine um article about single motherhood and they say 60 percent of the kids especially girls growing up in a single mother household have some kind of issue dealing with relationships down the road with men so um 
you know, that is something that I think is a very big topic. And like you said, we're not putting anybody down. I think everybody, single mother becomes single mother with various reasons, various consequences. They, there are a lot of struggling single moms out there. So, but it, that is something I think is created by our culture. Well, and I believe whatever situation people are in, that we should be kind and loving and accepting and helpful of everyone. Absolutely. But I would recommend a way of looking at this for everyone. If you're a mom and you get divorced under any circumstances whatsoever, then you should plan to be a single mom until your child reaches 18. That should be your purpose because it's – now – Again, I would not. I'm not saying I would. I, this is grounds for judging anyone, but look at the statistics. Listen to listen to some people that know, and that's a very difficult thing for a child. So he had a mother and a father, and now they split. Mm -hmm. That's very very harmful for a child, no matter how you do it. But then the mother brings another man mm -hmm. into the picture. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know how that affects girls, but I can tell you how it affects boys very, very badly. So you used to have a mother and a father. Once they split, it's just you and your mom. Now, you may have visitation or whatever, but in the daily life, you've got that relationship with your mom. You've got a relationship with your father. Your mother brings another man in and starts dating him and showing him time and affections. That is going to take away from that child. No matter what you do, no matter how you try, that's going to take away from that child. He's going to see part of your love and your care and affection shifting over to some dude. And literally, that's what it is to him, some dude. And look at all the rebellion and things that happen. The other thing is I tell my sons don't get involved with a woman who already has kids because you'll never be number one. Yes. You need to, you need to, you need to get married first. Yep. Establish that commitment, establish that relationship and then bring mutual children into it. And that's a very tight family bond when you do that. But if you meet a woman who has a kid, a lot of women and they need, they should be are looking for a man. Now I need help. This is very difficult. Right. financially or whatever way I need a man. So they'll bring a man into the situation, but guess what? A big part of the reason you're there is not because of her love for you, but for her need of you to help her raise this child, which by the way, is not your child. Exactly. So you're yeah, always going to be, you. a, you're always going to be. This is not a popular to. thing to say, but I absolutely agree with you. When I was 14 years old, I made myself a promise. My promise to myself is I want to be with somebody at least 10 years older than me. They, I, if they have previous marriage, if they have a child, I don't want to be with that person. So if anybody walk into my life, regardless how much I like the person, if they have a kid, if they've been married before, they're young, young I, don't want, I, I don't even start to get interested because those are my conditions. It, it, it is very difficult. And my husband, he was older than he's older than me and he also experienced relationship with other women that have a kid he said the one person he dated um he put on a love and affection to the six-year-old girl and her father was in jail for dealing drugs okay and 
So this little girl kept saying to her, you're not here to replace my father. So, my no, I'm not here to replace your father. But he said, my last draw, I realized I am nothing to this family, is Christmas comes. And this girl he was dating with a six-year-old girl, which he poured a lot of love to, said, you're not here to spend Christmas with us. This is a time just, so he goes, oh, that's when I walked away. So we both came into the marriage with no previous baggages, right? We, I don't have, I've never been, I, I barely even dated before, and we both have no children. You come to a marriage, you create a child together, you do everything together, and the same thing. Um, one of the things I have to tell you, I have a real admiration to my husband's aunt. She lost her husband. She was a beautiful girl, beautiful. And this is in the 50s. And she lost her husband when she had an eight-month-old baby and a, I think my husband's cousin was nine at the time, lost her husband. She never got married. She never dated. And when I talked to her about this, I said, and Joni, why did you never got married? You were gorgeous. I mean, you, I bet you have a lot of suitors. He, she said, I would never bring a man into my house with two children. I'm there to raise them on my own. And now he was a single, she was a single mom, was under terrible circumstances, losing her, losing her husband so young with a baby just born and a, and a you know, like nine-year-old boy. But she says, I, you know, I'm raising these kids on my own. And she did a fantastic job. You know, both kids are have great family. The youngest one who never met the father before is Randy's cousin, have, you know, married to a woman at a young age, have two daughters. And I mean, I admire somebody like that. I mean, she just refused to do that. Um, but then I also have a friend that her husband, her ex-husband was very toxic person, verbally abusive, physically abusive. She left him and did wind up marrying another man. And this man adopted her son as his own. And then they mutually had a baby. And they, now they both came into the marriage with previous marriage and children. And they created a very successful family. So, um, but she insisted they will have a kid together and that kind of really merged the family because everybody came together for the baby. So, I mean, I've seen both sides, but personally, yeah, I would never, like, I was, for a while there, my husband's health was kind of iffy. And I thought, oh, you know, if I become single, would I ever, you know, would I be still so choosy? And I think you become even worse because now I'm not on my own anymore. I have a child to worry about, Right. And then if you think about if I ever become a single mom with my son, I would never bring a man into my life that probably have other children because that becomes a more of a conflict. So, right. absolutely. I agree with All you. Right. It's not a popular opinion, but I absolutely no. agree with you. <laughs> and I, I often tell my son, he's 12 years old, being that he knows so much, I put it in his head. I say, if you get somebody pregnant at, at a young age, before you commit to a woman, before you get married, I say, your life is over. That's why I tell him, your life is over. Don't go around, sleep around, try, you know, you get a girl pregnant, you're done. Anyone listening to this, consider some of the things we're saying as, consider them as truths, as intellectual truths. Test them if you like, do they want. But 
Test them in your brain. Don't just let your feelings override because the things we just said don't feel good. No. You know, and when you meet someone, let's say you're a guy and you meet someone and you've been, you know, lonely and wanting a woman and you find an attractive woman and you really like her and you find out she has two kids. You know, your feelings don't want that truth. Your feelings are going to override everything and say, I'm going to pursue this. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. Those people don't know what they're talking about. And that's bad. That's, a, that's allowing your feelings and your desires and your urges to run your life. And, you know, that's just a bad thing. So how do you apply something like that? You know, I would make it a rule. But if you meet someone, take it very, very slowly. Don't don't move in together. You know, date, maintain your separate lives. Don't become too interdependent very mm -hmm. quick. Wait a very long time. Make sure this is really, really you're like make sure you're in a situation that is absolutely an exception to a very good rule. That's what I would say. And and there's a lot of things in life like that. You know, I mean, everybody wants to say, oh, everything's going to be fine. I can do whatever I want. And I don't have to worry about it. No, you have to learn to live life in attention and say, this is bad. I this is not I have a rule. This goes against my rule. You can either walk away from it and you'll be pretty good if you walk away from it. But if you want to stay and, and try it, keep the rule, you know, let that rule guide you and pay attention to what's going on. You know, don't don't ignore little things and, and spend years getting to know this person and this situation before you commit yourself. That's what I would say. Well, I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people married and, you know, with people with previous kids, and I think they would probably disagree, but which is fine that things will work out for, worked out for them. I think that's great. But yeah, I did make myself that rule. I mean, I didn't make myself the rule saying I need to marry a contractor who had a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. My rule is no marriage, no children, and other than that, I'm not even getting into it. The minute I found out somebody with a kid, I'd be like, yeah, okay, no. Right? Here, 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 here's a test. It's like, okay, great. It worked out for you. You're doing great. I'm really glad. Would you recommend your children follow the same path you no. did? No. <laughs> Just would, ask that question. Right. I would. Is, I, is that what you would be recommending young people do? And suddenly, you know, the, the story changes. So, right. yeah, people become defensive. And, you know, if you're in that kind of situation, great. You know, I mean, even regular marriage isn't easy. But I can tell you the, the path that I took was not easy, but I would absolutely recommend it to my children. Yeah. I mean, I would I would <laughs> I tell my son same thing. Don't get anybody pregnant. Find the right person, you know, work on your career. I mean, like my husband, he's. He didn't get married till he was 42 years old. You know, you just don't jump in. You you see somebody that's wrong, you go like, okay. I still think that he dated way too much, but. <laughs> don't jump in. I, I don't, no, I, I, what is, I don't understand about today's world. Like when I was growing up, you wait for the, the guy to pursue you and you do, like you say, maintain a distance, maintain you don't just jump in bed with the person right away. But what happened today is like, that seems like, you know, second date or third date. It's like, that could be in three months. You Sex just is a requirement. It's an expectation. Sure.
I know. What happened? I mean, I don't get that. It's it's absolutely... From what I hear, some of the things that are going in the wrong direction to me, from what I hear about dating apps, which I've never used, about 10% of the men are sleeping with about 90% of the women. So, <laughs> you know, how how you have this... In our society, we've got Lizzo and we've got all this. These are real women and, you know, the body positivity. That's not happening on the man's side. Mm-mm. On the man's side, there's the, you know, the, the the action stars. There's this model of what a man is supposed to be. And for the ones that don't measure up, a lot of the women especially insult them. They're beta you know, they're incels. Are you, are you aware of this name, incel? No. I don't know who came up with the name, but it's no. involuntary celibates. So the idea being there are these young men who can't get a woman. So, you know, they, they play games, they do whatever they do, and they complain about women all the time. So, you know, they're, they're mocked. Yeah, I, I'm not on dating apps, so I don't know. <laughs> I well, don't. they're not part of dating apps. They're just oh. part of the national conversation. So, but you're right though, you know, on the women's side, there's body positivity. You have all these overweight women that, you know, you say they're beautiful, attractive. You're more than your physical appearance. Your value is more than that. It's it's a big, big emphasis for women, not for men. Why is that? Well, I mean, historically, if you go back decades, Women were treated like objects, and they still are, really, in a lot of circles. Women treat themselves like objects. But a woman's worth was highly attributed to her physical appearance. But men could do what they want. They were in all the jobs. So we've done a lot of work to correct that problem with women, and I think men just are naturally now getting left behind. There's, there's no, do you, do you, have you, when was the last time you saw an ad that showed a guy with a gut and said, this is a real man? They're always made fun of. It's always, this is an undesirable joke of a man. And, you know, we want muscular, handsome, you know, these are, these are real men here. So I have a theory and my theory actually drives from what Jordan Peterson said, right? So if you think about it, traditionally, Men are providers, they're protectors, they're providers, and women need to feel secure around men. Well, women are nurturers, right? We're supposed to be home, take care of the husband, take care of the children, and be fertile, right? Because for a while there, if you go to Africa, they look at the female, they look at healthy, if you're not, if you're a bigger male, bigger female, you look at as healthy and able to carry children, all that stuff. So women are naturally way more selective to men. They look at the men's image. If you are, if, you, if you're this big guy with the guts and with floppy, with no muscles, women are going to say, well, how is this guy going to protect me and provide for me and all that stuff? But men look at women differently. You know, they look at women and say, well, I need this female. I'm not saying today's mentality, I think, is ingrained in our primal DNA that Men looking at female to procreate and female looking at, at guys to feel that security and well, that same fire. Well, but that same old primal, you know, thing exists in men, too. So an overweight woman is not an ideal mating partner. 
they're That's you know it's, it's the in, healthy in, in history if you look at the renaissance days and in, in the drawings there's a lot of women that are overweight they're well women, they're they're actually chubby. looking for women they're, that are big they're chubby <laughs> they're not fat I mean, come on, they're not Lizzo fat. I'm sorry, you know, it, it's the same thing. It, it, right. it, it's the primal, you know, built makeup is the same way. You're attracted to someone who's physically stronger, more physically capable. Stronger. That, that's a theory. You know, that's the theory based on, you know, evolution and, and things like that. I mean, I, you know, there, I, I believe there's something to that, but. I wasn't talking about that anyway. What I was talking about was how society and culture are telling us that this is okay to be this kind of a body type in a woman. Body positivity is strictly a female thing. When was the last time, you know, um, um, take any of the women who need this body positivity movement and take a comparable man and he'll be laughed at, <laughs> mocked. Think about it. Right. No, I and, and I don't care about those guys. What I'm saying is, what effect does this have to young men growing up? Mm. You know, boys entering, you know, manhood. And, you know, this is what they see. Am I going to measure up? Right. No, I get it. That's like the movie The Whale, right? You don't look at the that Brendan Fraser gained some weight. I'm sure he's and he got dropped out of the Hollywood because he's overweight. And he now he have to lose weight. In order to get parts, I, I I get it. I understand what you're saying. So as a man, you feel discriminated against with the body positivity. Eh, I don't feel discriminated against. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> you know, as far as me personally, yeah. I don't care. I'm just making a social observation about. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I, I personally think. Our young people are in crisis. I think the uh, trans oh, phenomenon is affecting girls more, and we need to pay attention to that. But, uh, you know, I think boys, young boys, men are in crisis as well. I think more and more there are a, a, a larger population of young men who now are looking for a woman to take care of them than the other way around. Well, because you know, and there's it, no it, strong it, conviction in anybody. There's no principle, well, right? I think it starts no. with confidence. I mean, we could sit here right. and mock them and laugh at them, but, you know, every child, take a look at your son, every child, you know, we don't look at children and go, well, there's a, there's a loser right there. There's a bad <laughs> person right there. No, but things happen to them as they're growing up and they're older. And, you know, we, as parents, we have a great influence on our children at the younger years. Once they hit teenage years, it's the world that's forming them. So mm. the things that they think and value and believe, no matter how well you try to isolate your children, our culture and the world is going to form them in, in a lot of ways. And they may right. make a lot of mistakes before they come back to what the parents had taught them and say, wow, my parents were right all along. Well, that's, well, that's what I'm saying is I'm, a, I'm, I'm expressing concern and actually expressing support for young men, older boys that are out there now, you know, looking at, yeah, when you, when you're a young man and you're looking at a family, say like mine, okay, we lived for decades, you know, the financial struggle, the difficulty in building a family. How do you go from $15 an hour to being able to buy a house, two cars and support kids? Right. That's an overwhelming proposition. If you don't have any confidence, 
I mean, to me, that's the number one thing that men and boys need is confidence. Absolutely. What is our culture doing to build confidence in men and boys? If anything, we're doing the exact opposite. We're, we're eroding their confidence. Well, this is why one of the reasons I, you know, have this argument with my husband, and I think he's finally seeing the light a little bit here, is don't be afraid to expose your children to your struggles and let them see how you deal with it, right? One of the things that the big argument is, my husband's like, oh, we sh when we fight, we need to hide ourselves. We can't let our son to see us fight. I said, wait a second. I need him to understand this is what happens in a marriage. You will have disagreements. You will have fights. But most importantly, after the fight, we put it back together, we still love each other, and we're moving on. Now, if your child never seen a couple fighting in a marriage, thinking, this is oh, this is how the marriage is supposed to work, how are they going to a relationship and down the road in the marriage understanding one fight doesn't mean anything. It's a way of communicating, and you just get better and better as a couple. How does your children understand in a marriage, you have to have fights, and, and the most important thing is how you put it back together. To build confidence, you have to allow your children to fail. By failing, the more important thing is getting back up and continue. But if you have this culture that starting from this child when he's a children, you're wonderful, great job. Oh, you clean up your room, that's amazing. You know, all these praises. And then once they get out to the real world, they realize, well, you know, it's not that easy. I had an employee tells me she thought her family was wealthy because her parents let them do whatever they wanted, gave them money for everything they wanted. And then once she gets older, because when you're a kid, your needs are less. As you older or get older and older and older, your needs are more, require more money to accommodate what you want. She said, then we realize... We're not rich. We're broke. And she was. I was. She said to me, "I was in complete shock." Well, how do you? You know, I think in order for people to build confidence is to understand, like we said the last show, life is hard. But how do you deal with life's problems? And as you conquer each struggle, you become more confident of yourself. I can deal with this. That's not a problem. I can deal with that. That's not a problem. That's how you build confidence. You don't build confidence by constantly praising the kids, doing something minute and small. Great job. Wonderful. This is the kind of culture we made these kids grow up in. And then when they grow up, they understand the world better. They're like, wow, we're not what we think it is. And they shrivel up. And that's why a lot of 30-year-olds still stay home with parents, right? Because they shrivel up. They don't know how to deal with it. When I was growing up, I can't wait to leave my parents. <laughs> well, yeah, same here. But, <laughs> yeah, our, our perspectives are a little bit different because you're still raising a son. So mm -hmm. your focus is on your son and whatever's going on in the world, equipping him to excel and deal with that world. Mm -hmm. So I'm past that. That's my right. rearview mirror. And, you know, now I have grandsons that I'm not personally raising. You know, I have influence over, you know, I spend time with, but I'm looking more as society as a whole. Right. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's more of a social 
commentary than a parenting thing. You know what yeah. I mean? And there's no right. I mean, I used to tell people I was a perfect parent before I had a kid. Yeah, <laughs> everybody is. Yeah, I was perfect. <laughs> In my mind, you know, my kid would never do X, Y, and Z. You know, then you right. become a parent. You're like, wow, I know absolutely nothing. You learn yep. as you go every day because your kid changes constantly. And you just have to, like, try to figure things out, especially right. at the social media age. <laughs> when they're they are gain, they have more information when their their little brain can process, mm -hmm. and I think it's it's a constant struggle. You know, it's not it's a struggle in general parenting as a whole. That's the reason no one should tell anybody how to parent. Yeah, we have a we can look at the mass stats and say X Y Z, but every parenting situation extremely unique. Yeah. And Every kid's unique. Every kid's is unique. Absolutely. You know, so, um, yeah. And <laughs> But when I was pregnant, my husband's like, oh, this is going to be the product to us. Two of us, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell you, 12 years old is very challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah. That's the reason I drink wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there. Yeah, so this is great. I, I think I've been enjoying, you know, us being talked about a lot of things as like culture and very down to earth. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah very good. Just And this was spontaneous. I didn't really think much about what we were going to talk about. So Well, I think you, I want to honor Father's Day, you know, to all the fathers. And, and I, I would never stop preaching how important a father's role is. Um, for the kid's life, you know, I often say I grew up in a very complete family, even though we were struggling financially, uh, we went, my family went through a lot of struggles, but if you look at my, my father who come from a mother and father family with 10 kids, they went through World War II, Japanese invasion, cultural revolution. And because my grandfather and my grandmother was so strong together they raised 10 very strong children mm -hmm. through those type of struggles. So money, materialistic, has nothing to do with it. If you have a strong unit of a parents, no matter how hard your struggles be, your kids will be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, just look at my, my father with 10 of the, you know, 10 of his brothers and sisters. They all became very successful, you know, in the United States and their children are very successful as well. So, I mean, the this this thing about degrading fathers, degrading men, I just don't understand why our culture do that and thinking it's okay. I think it's absolutely a disaster to do that. To, not only to the culture, but to our children, to our future. Well, happy Father's Day. Thank you, Sherry. <laughs> what did you get for gifts? Nothing. <laughs> well, <laughs> Actually, I think my youngest son got me a gift card. Okay. So I didn't even buy my father a gift. I guess we kind of moved off, you know, away from that. I think and it's very interesting. You know, for Mother's Day, I had a picture that says Mother's Day. I'm going to put it on our Facebook. Mother's Day is like steak dinner with champagne and Father's Day's TV dinner. <laughs> mm -hmm. Seems like father, nobody cares about Father's Day, but the moms gets all the praises. Well, and I think I know why. Mothers want that love and attention and, you know, so Mother's Day is a, a day to, like, really honor and lift them up. 
what fathers and husbands primarily are looking for is uh, appreciation. Yeah. So to be appreciated for the things that they do and who they are. Respect. They want to be respected as a man. And for their, their wife, they want to be desired. If they have that, what are you going to do on Father's Day? You know, so every day is really Father's Day. It's not like you can not respect your husband, you know, not desire your husband, not appreciate your husband all year long, and then suddenly do it on Father's Day. It's not going to work. That's true. So it's all year through. But I I guess you could argue the same thing for Mother's Day. You can't ignore your wife and your mother and not give them any attention or any love throughout the year and then suddenly turn it on on Mother's Day. But it does seem something you can kind of add an extra dose of on a particular day. And, you know, Father's, Father's Day is just not as conducive to that, I don't think. Well, I, I always laugh about this free zoo pass to, for Mother's Day. I mean, the zoo does free pass for Mother's Day and Father's Day. I'm like, how is that a gift when you have to fight traffic and go into the crowded zoo with a bunch of kids? <laughs> that, to me, is not a gift at all. If anything, they should shut all these places down on Mother's Day and Father's Day because it's not fun. I've been to one time. I'm like, I'll never do this again. Yeah. If it's crowded and if it's hot, you're going to see a lot of fathers, mothers arguing and frustrated. Absolutely. <laughs> I think all these kids' places should shut down the mothers and fathers. Say, Just leave them alone. Well, I have four grandsons, you know, four, six, eight, and ten. I had a, an only child for seven years, and then we had two close together. Mm-hmm. And the two, even though the first son was the easiest of all of our children, having two close in age was way more difficult than just one. I mean, more than double. It was like mm-hmm. exponential. So I, you know, and I've experienced the four with my daughter for short bursts of time. Very, very difficult. Oh, so I, don't, I can't imagine. You plan these things like we're going to have all this fun. We're going to have the kid. We're going to go do like we went to a movie. And, and then a lot of the time you end up frustrated and scolding and correcting. And <laughs> so, yeah, I was there in the movie doing this with the youngest, He, you know, and uh I just had this kind of moment where I go, I thought this was supposed to be fun. I thought this was supposed to be a, a, a good memory. And, you know, here you are, just constant correction and scolding. And <laughs> I think we have more fun with our son now, going, like going on trips when he's like 10 and 11. Because okay. now you can have an actual conversation. Oh, with sure. our, the road trip become much more pleasant. Um but yeah, it's not that much fun prior to that. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you see that a lot. Families go out, we're going to have to have a great fun day, and then people get frustrated. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All part of family life. All part of family life. Yep. All and right. I- this was great. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bye. Sherry. Have a good one. Bye.